You know, I've since leaving the church, I view the church as a, you know, it's a spiritual cul-de-sac on a golf course of, of spirituality that doesn't really branch out to the rest of the world. <laughs> Very good. So I, I got into breath work. Um, I, I had my challenges as an adult. I was doing well, but knew I was capable of more and wasn't like my, like I could look at the potential. <laughs> and see what I was doing and going, these, these don't match up. So I went on a journey, and a couple years into the journey, I found Breathwork. I found Breathwork. I found Breathwork. It was a full-blown psychedelic experience. I had visions and loss of time and loss of sensation of self, mm. and received messages and downloads, what people call downloads, revelations, insights, feelings, and I was like, whoa. One of the theories is that once you begin breathing this way, it releases DMT from within your lungs. Mm. Uh, one part of your brain is telling another part of your brain a story, and it's and you're surprised by that story that you are telling yourself. Yeah, um, which is always like, how, how can I surprise me? Mm. But I, but you, your own brain surprises you with what you see. It's crazy. It's crazy. One of my pet peeves with people in the in the spiritual community in general, like once you leave mainstream Christianity and you come over to the woo-woo crystal clusters. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not a woo-woo crystal cluster. Um, my girlfriend gets mad about this. I'm like... Is she a woo-woo crystal cluster? No, she's, no okay. she's not. But I'll go... You know, people go like the spirits. I'm like, I don't believe in spirits. And she's like, you've seen them. And I'm like, I have. They stay on their side of the street. I stay on my side of the street. We high nod each other and walk past. I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. I do, I do, I do. I, do, I don't want to talk to any angels or demons. They don't <laughs> want to talk to me. Um, my general stance is I don't believe in woo-woo, but I've seen a bunch of them. I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. I don't believe in them. Doing breath work is a bit like going to a live concert. That if there's five of you, it's a nice intimate little concert. If there's 10,000 of you, it's a, it's a rock show. And what I want is a spiritual rock show. Rock show. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. Even by end, this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 729 Breathwork with Jake. And, you know, this was such a fun, interesting conversation. We recorded it in person, sitting outside in a little courtyard with a fountain that you can sort of hear in the background. And it was just such an enjoyable experience that I'm going to shut up, get out of the way, and just let the conversation speak for itself. Sound good? I release control and surrender to the flow of love 
Alright, so we're recording now and just um I can edit stuff if I need to edit stuff later. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like you do a great job editing this podcast, like getting in sound clips. That's one of my favorite things to do. Is, is it really? Is, yeah, the editing. Man, I hate part. that part. Do you? <laughs> yes. Man, I am one take, man. We ain't editing anything. Yeah. Well it it's fun. It like some of the fun things has been to like go through and take clips of things that people say and, and cut off this word here, this word here, this word here, this word here, and construct a completely new sentence that you mm-hmm. know and, and, and trying to do it in a you know, I'm not trying to fool anybody with that. Right. But, but uh like I've done that with, with uh Boyd K. Packer. Of all the blessings that have come the best thing in my life is the companionship and coverage I get from very young men. I took a bunch of clips from him and then put it to the I'm Too Sexy yeah. song and uh, like being able to get him to say penis. I'm too sexy for wickedness, too sexy for wickedness, it never was happiness. Penis. You know, like I'll take happiness and I'll cut off the hap. And just get the penis. And, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So yeah, nice. the, edit, the editing's been mm-hmm. a lot of fun. All right. So, Jake, I, I met you a couple of weeks ago. A uh, mm-hmm. mutual friend of ours, Richard, invited me out to your breathwork thing, and I just, I loved it. Uh, I absolutely loved it. And I will be coming back. And so will my partner. She, she okay. signed up for it, too. Um, but uh, so let, let's talk a little bit just first about that. Like, what, what is the breathwork that you're doing? How did you get into it? And then from there, we'll talk a little bit about you <laughs> okay <laughs> very good so i i got into breath work um you know i was a um I, I had my challenges as an adult uh you know i wasn't i was doing well in life but i wasn't thriving the way i thought i should be mm. that i was i was doing well but knew i was capable of more and wasn't like my like i could look at the potential and see what i was doing and going these these don't match up yeah um so I went on a journey, and a couple years into the journey, I found breath work. And the first time I was exposed to breath work, um, nothing happened. Like I, I went to a two-hour experience and basically just stared, sat there and stared at the ceiling and was like, well, this is a dud. Like, I don't know what everybody else is talking about because I'm not feeling anything. Yeah. Um, and then it probably took another year, year and a half, before a friend nagged slash browbeat me into going to a different breathwork session. And I went to that one, and it was a it was a full blown psychedelic experience during that one that I had visions and loss of time and loss of sensation of self, mm. and and it was a very deep and got received messages and downloads, what people call downloads, revelations, insights, feelings, and it was like. Whoa, this is crazy. Um, so started doing breath work quite a bit more after that. The person who I'd gone to for that breath work session, I kept encouraging them, you need to grow this. Like you've got a little bitty space here with like 15 people and this needs to be bigger. Like you need to help more people. And he just didn't have the risk tolerance or the vision to invest in it to grow it bigger. Uh, so I did that. Yeah. I said, hey, we're getting a bigger space. Um, <clears throat> And the first space I got was like 5,000 square feet. Um, and, you know, my vision has always been that we would have 60 people coming in and doing breath work at every session. That the more 
um, doing breathwork is a bit like going to a live concert. That if, if there's five of you, it's a nice, intimate little concert. If mm-hmm. there's ten thousand of you, it's a it's a rock show. And yeah. what I want is a spiritual rock show. Mm. Uh, I want a powerful event for people that it's, you know, I want you to come every week. But every week you come, I want it to be a life changing event every single time. That's like this is the greatest experience of my life, every single week. That's what I'm looking for. Um, so shortly after we got that space. We were ramping up. We were maybe five, six months into it, finally doing really well, had grown it, and COVID hit. Uh-huh. And then uh, shut down for six weeks, um, opened back up after COVID, started over with like two people, mm-hmm. and then grew it back up to 20 or 30 people. COVID shut us down again, opened back up, start with two people, grow it up again. Uh, so we've been riding this COVID roller coaster of... Um, fits and the starts and and contractions and expansions and since you've come we've moved again uh, Mm. to a different uh, we're in the same building but we have the building that we're in is enormous yeah Um, so we've got a different facility within the same building because there's an open house what like the 30th or Mm -hmm. something for the new April 30th so that's the same building it's just a different space in it. same building just a different space in it I want to say the building itself is 50,000 square feet mm. like it's it's massive mm-hmm. uh, and we've we've got like 2,000 square feet in it um, so it's uh, but it's it's a our previous space could could contain 25 people comfortably like we went from 5,000 square feet to about 1,200 square feet and now we're up to about 2,000 square feet again mm-hmm. um, and I think we, we can fit 40 people in there comfortably mm. uh, at a time for breath work um, so we're really looking forward to that, and hopefully at the end of this year, um, we'll, we'll be able to expand again. Yeah. So so for people who are listening to this, that they hear the word breath work, they're not really sure what it is. Can you describe it? Sure thing. Um, so there are, there are 20 to 30 different types of meditation, and people often lump breath work in with meditation, and it's it's not a meditation. There's, there are another... 15 different types of breath work. So just because you're doing breath work doesn't mean that you're doing what we're doing. Um, that there are all different types of, of workouts. You can do CrossFit, you can do Zumba, you can do aqua aerobics. They're all different. Uh, and the same thing applies to breath work and meditation, that there are different modalities. So the type of breath work that we do um, is most similar to uh, holotropic breath work. Uh, we don't say that because that's a trademark term, so we can't mm. do holotropic breath work. But if we own the trademark, we might be able to say that. But mm. we don't, so yeah. we don't. So it, it's not that. <laughs> it's just kind of like it, sort it's, of. It's very, very similar. So yeah. we call it conscious connected breathing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also call it shamanic breathing. Um, and circular breathing, wave breathing, uh, rebirthing. It, it has a lot of different names uh, other than holotropic. Um, so all the breaths become connected. Um, there's no pause between the inhale and the exhale. That's really one of the big focuses. One of the others is that um, we focus all the effort on the inhale and that the exhale is just a matter of relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, other breath, that's reversed. We don't really have a time frame for it. We do breath suspensions. And the theory, I don't know that there's any science to back this up, uh, but one of the theories is that once you begin breathing this way, it releases DMT from within your lungs mm. uh, naturally. So you have DMT in your body all the time. It's one of the reasons that you go into dream states. The theory there is that your, the pineal gland in your brain 
releases DMT, which if you think about dreaming is an odd state and that one part of your brain is telling another part of your brain a story and it's, and you're surprised by that story that you are telling yourself. Yeah. Um, which is always like, how, how can I surprise me? But, mm -hmm. I, but you, your own brain surprises you with what you see. So that DMT helps that experience that it puts you the mildest experience that you have during breath works of deep meditation. But what we're really, our, our ultimate goal is that you'll achieve a mystical state. Uh, and a mystical is the, the mystery of, of life that uh, the, the belief himself or that you as an individual disappear and that you as part of the uh, entire cosmic whole is integrated. Um, that you can experience timelessness. That's one of the really common experiences that people have that we do breath work for two hours and when they come out, they think it's only been 20 minutes. Mm. Um, that they can have witnessing states and a witnessing state is different from a memory because when you're memory, you still have that first person point of view. But in a witnessing statement, you have the third person point of view of your own life. Mm. And it, it gives you a greater understanding of what was going on. Much like an author writing from the third person point of view, you can now see everybody's mental state that's involved and have a greater understanding of, of something that might have been a traumatic event for you uh, when you look at it and see the other what they were trying to accomplish you're like oh okay I, mm. I, I have a better understanding and it helps you heal from that and let go of it yeah. um, so those are just some of the things that can happen during breath work um, we do do it as a group me personally when I do breath work individually nothing happens um, like the first time I did breath work, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going to go home, hit the playlist, do some breath work yeah. and, uh, drop in and just breathe, just huffed and puffed for like 30 minutes and nothing. Huh. Um, and I've been doing it for years now and it's still nothing when I do it by myself. Really? Uh, but when I facilitate the class, uh, you'll notice, you may have noticed I only do five breaths at a time as a demonstration. Cause if I do more than five, I start to drop in uh. and I'm like, Oh, hold on. Gotta take a knee. <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta center myself before I can talk again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you guys are doing your breath work, once we get you all dropped in, we're done playing instruments. There's about twenty or thirty minutes there while I lay down and breathe with you, and I drop in like that. Wow. Like five yeah. breaths, and it's huh. I'm there. Yeah. And and so the there for you, you know, I I was I I hadn't done breath any breath work before um, and I've only done the one experience with you about probably about a month ago and um, I, I the, the the experience that I had with it was kind of close what was the one we said like witness it wasn't witnessing it wasn't quite third party but it was uh, so I I served my mission in Japan mm -hmm. and I remembered a house that I had gone to and a family that I had met and a kid that I had befriended that I hadn't thought about in years. And like, I was, I was right back there in their house. I could see the cobblestones on the driveway going up like the shrubbery. I was like standing in their living room and I could see all of the fixtures and the colors and you know, like yeah. stuff that I, I didn't know was still inside of me, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, right. and, and that, and it was so vivid and it was real. It, it was it was kind of healing in a way of, like, remember these people, remember this experience, remember their kindness, remember their generosity, letting you into their house, remember their curiosity about who you were and what you came to talk to them about. And it, instead of like looking at all those things, the way that I've been looking at it in recent years, like I was a salesman for this bullshit church, you know, like right. telling the story that like mm -hmm. made me hate this. I, I like got to reclaim a bit of my own 
life experience in there in a really nice way. Mm-hmm. And that, that surprised me because I, I have had psychedelic experiences and I've had really vivid memory recalls like that. So it was kind of similar like that. It, I, didn't, I didn't see fractals or do anything mm-hmm. like that, but I did feel that sense of connectedness and just joy and, you know, like, mm-hmm. an, like an open heart centric kind of experience and there was there was one woman in the session that I was at that she started wailing and that's probably a fairly common thing as people are releasing mm-hmm. grief what, what are some other experience like you, you as a facilitator that you've seen people go through um, in doing breath work certainly certainly healing from trauma yeah. is one of the big ones um, so healing from trauma is kind of a <clears throat> It's a tough one. The person has to be ready to, to accept that. Yeah. Um, that I don't. I don't attach to their stories very much when we're when we're in breath work. Uh, I also facilitate psychedelics, and those I, I have quite a few uh, more stories with. Um, but but the healing from trauma, the vision. So so healing from trauma is a is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, healing from from damaged relationships. Uh, is enormous. Uh, people receive a lot of clarity about what they need to do to move forward from a situation. Uh, one of my pet peeves with people in the in the spiritual community in general, like once you leave mainstream Christianity and you come over to the woo woo crystal clutchers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm not a woo woo cl- crystal clutcher. Um, I've as I. My girlfriend gets mad about this. I'm like, is she a woo-woo crystal clutcher? No, she's, no. Okay. she's not. But I'll go, <laughs> you know, people go like the spirits. I'm like, I don't believe in spirits. And she's like, you've seen them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I have. They stay on their side of the street. I stay on my side of the street. We high nod each other and walk past. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to talk to any angels or demons. They don't <laughs> want to talk to me. Um, that, that my general stance is I don't believe in woo-woo, but I've seen a bunch of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's... There's that, but a lot of things that I see with the crystal clutchers is that they want to give themselves status, like, oh, I'm from the Pleiadian star galaxy, and I'm this kind of thing, and I'm like... I just came across the Pleiadians just, yes. like, a few weeks ago. Okay. But I love it. I, I, I love it, but the thing that I ask, you know, as a, as a life coach, it's like, <laughs> all right, so how are you going to show up tomorrow? Yeah. Like, when, when you show up tomorrow as a father, mother, son, daughter, co-worker... As an entrepreneur, as an inventor, as a developer, how's that going to help you? Like, how are you going to show up different because of that? Mm. Um, because from what I can tell, it ain't going to do shit. You might as well just go out and get a tattoo because that's what most tattoos are, is you're borrowing status from someone else that you haven't earned yeah. and making yourself feel good and, and soothing yourself, mm. but you're not showing up and doing the work. Like, show up and do the work. Um, so that's that's what I see with a lot of the the crystal clutchers and the woo-woo people is that they are soothing themselves and giving themselves status while not actually making any forward momentum in their life that they aren't there's there's no development there's no growth interesting so what if someone did come back to you with with a a response of how that's beneficial for them in their life the the best response that i've heard from people is that it gives them peace or gives them surety and i'm like okay that's wonderful you have peace you have surety (laughs) Now what? <laughs> like, how how are you going to show up? Uh, to, to, to date, nobody's given me a a great response. Okay, uh, that, challenge accepted. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll figure one out. All right. I, I'm I'm still just kind of new to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But it's funny because I recorded uh, a discussion. There, there's another podcast called Mormons on Mushrooms. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have not heard no. of it. It sounds like it'd be wonderful. It's a, cool, <laughs> it's a really cool group of people. They interviewed me a couple months ago. And in the course of that interview, one of them mentioned these ninth dimensional Pleiadians. I'm like, what the hell is that? Yeah. And then I came across it when I was with my partner up in, in Sedona and watched one of these things. And I thought, okay, this is weird, but I like the story. I like the messages mm -hmm. here. And I've gone, I've listened to so many of them since then. Mm -hmm. um, and so I recorded an episode with, with two of those uh, uh, hosts from Mormons on Mushrooms that'll I don't know if it'll publish before this one or after this one, but it's funny that you bring it up. I, I don't have a, I don't have an aversion to it. Like if that's the story that you need, I don't to, totally believe you, Jake. <laughs> well, it's 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 uh, you know, I, I have no more aversion to that than I do the the Joseph Smith story of, about the the pre life and the pre world and the spiritual world and and how we got here. Um, personally, I believe in the yugas, which is a is a Hindu. Uh, cyclical theory of life uh -huh. here and it's you know the, the difference with the yugas is it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't grant you any status because you believe in that like mm -hmm. if your story is going to give you a, a status about this is I believe this so I'm superior than you it's like yeah, it's probably not that great a story um, or probably not that I helpful see what that you're you saying. have yeah. you are borrowing authority and status that you haven't achieved mm. um, okay so, so you even know, and, and people have, do have a lot of complaints with that, with, with the LDS and the Mormons of, hey, well, because we believe this, we're getting our own exactly. world. Exactly. And yeah. you're not. And it's like, you know, I've since leaving the church, I view the church as a, you know, it's a spiritual cul-de-sac on a golf course of, of spirituality that doesn't really branch out to the rest of the world. Yeah. That they're telling themselves how great they are while they do almost nothing to, to help others. Yeah. Yeah, the branching out to the rest of the world is just the recruitment Correct. effort. Yeah. What, so what was your experience like uh, as a Mormon? So um, my dad was a convert. Uh, my mom was a convert. I think my mom converted when she was uh, pregnant with me. Uh, so I was, uh, you know, what I call dias diaspora Mormon mm -hmm. in that I did not grow up in Utah. had very little contact with the Utah community or Utah Mormons. Did you grow up here in Arizona? I did not. I grew up in Arkansas. Okay. Um, so like we're, we're you know, uh, in a high school of 600 people, there were like two of us. Yeah. Uh, so not, not, not a lot of other Mo's. Um, I was... You, you don't happen to know Christine Stenquist, do you? I don't. Okay. She, I, I just recently interviewed her, and she was in Arkansas for a while when she was growing up, too. But President Bednar was my state president. And, and was her bishop. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I probably... How old is she? She's 49. I, I probably would know her if I saw her. Like, yeah. we probably went to the same state dances. Yeah. yeah. Her last name may have been different when I knew her. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. So the chances that we don't know each other are pretty pretty slim yeah um I'm, I'm sure we've met yeah you'd like her now she's she was a cannabis advocate getting it legalized in in utah and now she's super interested in doing the same thing with like psychedelics like, and nice. stuff yeah. yeah yeah um so i grew up um you know class seminary president stake seminary president senior patrol leader in the boy scouts um you know, had been in Boy Scouts for like two weeks, and they voted me senior patrol leader. I'm like, I don't even have a shirt yet. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how come I'm in charge. Yeah. Um, but just did the thing all the way through. 
got up to the point where I was going to go on a mission and said, no, there's something not right here. I'm not mm. doing this. Uh, didn't, didn't go on my mission, went inactive uh, until I got married in my late 20s, early 30s. Got active again for about two years and, and then looked around and said, yeah, I've still, I've still got a problem with this. Mm-hmm. This still isn't, this still isn't working. Um, were, were you able to put your finger on what that problem was? The last, the last time I went to church, so I'm a professional, I'm a sales professional. I've, I've done sales and marketing at a high level for the last 30 years. Uh, and I'm pretty, pretty good at it. Um, that my last priesthood meeting that I went to, basically the, the bishop came in and gave us a talk about home teaching that sounded like a B-level sales manager trying to get his team to get out there and like yeah. hit, hit the streets. We got to pump the numbers up. Yeah. And it was yeah. basically, we got to pump the numbers up message. I don't know, halfway, three quarters of the way through, kind of raised my hand. I was like, hey, at any point, are we going to talk about we should go out there and talk to these people because we love them? Or we just gotta, we just gotta hit these numbers. Mm. It was like pipe down, and I was like, "Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I've had, you know, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm out." Um, it never came back. Uh, I wasn't bitter. I wasn't angry. I've, I've never. There, there are certainly things the church do that I disagree with vehemently and, yeah. and um, disagree with strongly. But overall, I never had enough interaction with. The, the leadership of the church to really have strong feelings about them. So when I left, I didn't, I never identified as an ex-Mormon and didn't really, for the most part, I never tell anybody I was LDS. Yeah. Um, that they, it comes up occasionally. It certainly formed my, my worldview and my morals as a youth. Yeah. Uh, but overall, uh, it, it's, it's not something, I don't identify as anti-anything or ex-anything. It's like, I'm not leaving something, I'm going towards something. So after that, I went through a period of struggle eventually just became agnostic mm. and was like i don't i don't know if there's a god neither do you um might be it might be a chicken that lays big bang eggs for all i know and <laughs> that that might be the answer that that comes to pass that like apparently there used to be a lot of gods here and now there's only one god did that guy buy the franchise rights to the planets and kicked all the other gods out like what what happened here mm. um so I, I do really know my scriptures. I do really know, you know, when people are like, well, you seem to misunderstood. And it's like, no, I actually know more than you do. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> right. I, I look at this. Like, uh, I, once I start busting out the story of the Hebrews and, and everything else, like, mm. you're, you're not going to do well in this debate. Mm. Um, so I, I generally don't debate it. Um, I think, I do think Joseph Smith had some inspiration. Um, and, and then later on, I... Again, I had a lot of anger from the trauma that I had as a kid. And in dealing with that anger, I ended up at an ayahuasca ceremony, which is a long story in and of itself, and had tremendous healing from that. It was ayahuasca and buffo, and it was it was just, you know, the greatest and worst experience of my life. How long ago was this? Uh, about five years ago. Okay. About five years ago. So, uh, so ayahuasca I'm familiar with, and mm-hmm. then the buffo, bufo, how do you buffo? pronounce it? You, it's pronounced both ways. Okay. Both ways are correct. And, and that's the, the DMT that comes from a frog, mm-hmm. right? So there's NNDMT, which mm-hmm. is what most people think of when they think of DMT, and that has uh, fractals and pictures, and it's really beautiful, and it's 
90% of the time a wonderful experience in which people come back and think that was awesome and it's a you know it's a, a roller coaster ride of visuals and emotions that people sometimes feel like they're talking to entities or you know machine elves or aliens or something along those lines um, and that's that's NNDMT. Um, the substance that I facilitate and what I did the next morning is 5-MeO-DMT, 5-methyloxy. Mm -hmm. And while there's DMT in both names, they are nothing alike. Mm -hmm. um, people think, oh, I've done DMT, I'll do 5-MeO. It's like, uh, it's, it's five to six more times powerful. And the experience does last seven to 15 minutes. So the timeline and the onset is similar, but the experiences themselves are entirely different. Uh, on 5-MeO, there's generally about three seconds of visuals and then the visuals are gone. And it is the complete disillusion of self. Um, so the complete loss of ego, the ego death, when you absolutely positively accept no substitutes, want to experience the ego death, 5-MeO DMT will kill you. Mm. And that to truly approach the spiritual, to truly connect to God, you have to give up the physical. And giving up that physical is part of giving up your body. And that is a, I've done it several hundred times and it's still difficult every single time. There's no one time I've done it where I was like, oh, that was easy. Yeah. Uh, getting out of your body and getting back into it is a difficult experience. When you say connecting to God, mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? Um, so the divine, the source, the infinite, um, that during my first ayahuasca ceremony, I met God. Uh, I talked to him same way I'd like walked in, sat down in a chair and was like, Hey man, good to see you again. Mm -hmm. And that is who I perceive as God. He looked like the architect from the matrix, white guy, white suit, mm -hmm. white beard. Um, that's, that's who I saw. Um, there is the story of the six blind Hindus that, that touch an elephant. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I'll tell it very quickly Please, for the, yeah. for the listeners. So there's six blind Hindus that touch an elephant. One touches the trunk, another touches a tusk, one touches an ear, another touches a leg, one touches the side, one grabs the tail. So the first guy says it's it's like a, a big python. The other guy says it's like a sharp spear. And the other says it's like a fan. And the other guy says it's big like a tree. And the other guy says it's flat like a wall. And the last guy says it's skinny like a snake. And then they all commence to arguing and debating and fighting because each of them has a different experience of the exact same thing. Yeah. And that's that's my explanation of, of the divine or source or the infinite or whatever you want to call it, um, that your experience is valid. And that whatever experience you have with touching the divine, that if you'd like to think it's Mother Earth, if you'd like to think it's a tree, if you experience it as a woman or you experience it with the totality of the cosmos, those are all beautiful experiences. Yeah. And and I I personally accept those that I'm not going to try and like, no, 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 it's a white guy in a white suit. Yeah. It sure isn't. Because um, I asked him about that. I'm like, is this what you really look like? He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know, it was, it was like uh, the... Um, the movie Aliens, was it Aliens? Contact, mm. uh, with Jodie Foster when she's talking to the aliens and they appear as her parents. The dad, yeah. Yeah, or her dad. And it's like, well, no, this is, this is just how we show up so that you can relate. Mm -hmm. uh, that it is so big, that it is so immense, that there's no way that, that we can, we can co conceive of it with, with the brain that we're, we're packing. So, so when you were sitting across from God slash the architect from the matrix, did you ask him to go and step on the other side of the street with the other spirits and no, <laughs> no, it was, I had three intentions when I showed up 
And um, it took us a while to work through those intentions because I didn't like the answers I was being given. Mm. I was like, no, 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 man, you misunderstood the no, question. No, I want this. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, I misunderstood the question. Yeah, I always, <laughs> I always joke that people pray for a mountain to move, and sometimes God moves the mountain, and sometimes He hands you a shovel. And every time He hands you a shovel, you're like, whoa, you misunderstood what I was asking. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't asking like, for, yeah. yeah, I wasn't asking for the shovel. I just wanted the mountain moved out of the way. Um, so we had about three hours where we, we worked through my issues, what I had shown up for and needed answers for, and, and of course all the answers he gave were correct. Um, and then when we were done with that, he was like, all right, you good? I'm like, yeah, got your answers? Yeah, feel good about them? Yeah, not really, but you know, I'll, I will go and do the things which I've been commanded. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, good, now let's talk about your real problems. And I was like, ah, crap. <laughs> <laughs> and then we spent the next eight hours dealing with with issues in my life that I didn't even know were issues in my life mm. so um, I really didn't have time to uh, get around to other questions although at one point I did ask I'm like am I just talking to myself and and like being guided by my own consciousness or am I talking to you and at that point he went away and I was by myself and I had repetitive ruminating thoughts for about five minutes that I just obsessed about something that wasn't very important and then he came back and said that's you talking to yourself this mm. is me talking to you mm. and I was like all right well played <laughs> <laughs> well played yeah 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 whether whether it is a god or a woman or whatever it is it's it is certainly all-knowing cool that there is a source so so what 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 work are you doing now to to uh, to help people have their own kinds of experiences like this? Well, breath work is where I like people to start because mm -hmm. it is the the mildest uh, form of this experience. That I think therapy is a, a valid and wonderful tool and modality for people, and that um, it can give them tools and methods and things that they need to do to help improve their life but then a lot of times they don't have the capacity or the bandwidth to be able to execute on those those skills that they've been given that hey you should respond calmly to this well if i don't have the emotional capacity to respond calmly to that i can't give that response um so the the work that i do with with breath work is is mild and it is um you have to cooperate that if you're going to resist breath work, it is a dance and it's not going to work. Um, I would say my success rates about 149 out of 150 people have a, have an, some sort of experience with me, mm. even if it is just of mild meditation. Mm. Um, and and that one person, it's like, hey, maybe I'm, maybe I rub you the wrong way. Mm. You know, hopefully you can try someone else and you'll have a better experience with them. Um, so I'm work used to working with people who are beginners who haven't done it before. That's where I really like to specialize. And then through breath work, that's kind of the uh, the gateway drug uh, to getting them to moving down or upstream to, to the other modalities we deal with, which are uh, mushrooms, which to me is the mildest form of psychedelics that people can do and still have a, a mystical experience. Mm -hmm. um, that mushrooms seem to be uh, the type of medicine that tells you you're good enough, you're smart enough, by golly, people like you, you can do it. <laughs> that whatever it is you want to do in life, mushrooms will pat you on the back, swat you on the butt, tell you to get out there in the world and make it happen, kid. Yeah. You've, you've got this. I, I appreciate the Stuart Smalley reference. Yeah. I, I approve. <laughs> and then 
the next step after that is is ayahuasca and they call that the the mother the madre and much like the mother when you're done when you're finished with ayahuasca it gives you a honeydew list mm. hey you need to go talk to this person you need to get done with this task you need to do this you need to go do that that it is very specific and very strict about what it is that you need to do with your life going forward mm. and um really doesn't accept any gruff um i had taken a guy to an ayahuasca ceremony who was told to cut his hair at the ceremony um and then promptly went home and did not cut his hair mm. uh, it wasn't me because you can look at me i, I still have long hair <laughs> yeah. i was told to grow my hair at ceremony um came back to ceremony two months later hadn't cut his hair was having a terrible time of it. The guy next to him puked, knocked his puke bucket over on the guy with long hair and like totally messed his night up. So he got up, left his mat and went and sat by the fire and ayahuasca was like, did you cut your hair? <laughs> it's like, no. All right, we'll cut your hair and then come back. I don't have anything for you until you do what you were told. Hmm. Um, so uh, ayahuasca can be a, a little bit rougher experience that mm. if you do not want to accept it's it's going to smack you around until you accept uh and then we get to buffo which buffo is like riding a, a 50 foot wave in that you can either get on the rave and and ride it and accept or it'll just smash you against the rocks until you accept uh it can be uh it can be a truly truly horrifying experience going through buffo that the the disillusion of self the letting go of trauma the letting go of everything that everything you're clinging to is going to be ripped out of your hands whether you're, you're ready to have it ripped out of your hands or not mentally uh and then it'll piece you back together and in the end it's a it's a beautiful wonderful experience um and it can be a beautiful experience from start to finish but a lot of times it's not yeah that it, it can be very, it is intense. Yeah. How, how do you do deal with the illegality of those substances versus, I mean, the breath work, mm -hmm. obviously, no mm -hmm. issues with that. But with these other things, you mm -hmm. you got to be uh, careful, I would expect. So I used to take people to Mexico because it is not illegal there. Mm. Uh, Mexico has a different legal system than we do, that it's based off more the, the French uh, legislative model in which everything has to be legislated we come from the english common law where it's uh you don't have to have a law written about it so there are no laws about it so it's not it's neither legal nor illegal it's just yeah is so it's permitted uh so we would take people to mexico to do ayahuasca and buffo mushrooms are illegal in in mexico even though that's where america got their from, yeah. their mushroom uh ceremonies from uh, and in order to deal with that, I established my own church. It's called okay. the Church of Inner Harmony. So when I say, like, I believe in the yugas, it's like the yugas are part of our church. Um, and it's it's more of a humanitarian, a humanist model yeah. of, of religion yeah. in that um, we don't have any fundamentalism or, or dogma. Right. Uh, we, have, we have beliefs. You can describe to them or not, but, um, you know, it's kind of a proto-Buddhist, proto-humanism model of, of thought. Jungian, you know, Jungian, Buddhist, humanist um, what's buff the, buffet. What's, what's the name of the church again? The Church of Inner Harmony. The Church of Inner Harmony, okay. Yeah. Have you heard of the Divine Assembly, what Senator Steve Urquhart's doing up in Utah? Uh, just vaguely. Similar. Yeah. S similar idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've been told for years, hey, you need to start a church. And I was kind of, did, I was like... Did you get that message in an ayahuasca ceremony? I did not. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, I did ask about religion... Um, 
Yeah, I talk to God every time at ayahuasca. And I did ask him one time, like, you know, the Joseph Smith question, hey, which one of these churches is true? Like, are any of them true? Do any, do any of them have anything? Like, help, help a brother out here. And the answer I got was that all religions are basically a social construct for the moral shortcomings of that society. Mm-hmm. That that society needs this feedback to correct whatever behavior it is they're going through. Doesn't matter. Like, take, take your pick. Um, that... Um, you know, all of them have pluses, all of them have minuses. None of them are the true path. They're, they're all a broken mirror, that none of them have the full image. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was a foot dragger about starting the church uh, because it just seemed like, you know, kabuki theater of we're hiding behind the church, but it doesn't really offer any, any valid protection. Like, there are protections. Uh, there are two ayahuasca churches that have been prosecuted by the federal government. Right. Both of them won their cases and were awarded significant legal fees. I believe Santo Dame was awarded $2 million that the federal government had to pay them to cover their legal fees. Mm. And then they were given their medicine back. There's a path to legality where you have to submit your church paperwork to the DEA. Uh, once you submit your paperwork to the DEA, you're not allowed to conduct ceremony until they approve you. That was three years ago. They still haven't approved anybody. Um, so by the point they get around to approving somebody, the DEA's argument is going to be, well, you haven't held ceremony in three years, so it can't be that important. Um, so I didn't want to go through that process because it seemed it seemed like a waste of time and that it didn't actually offer any protection. Well, October of last year, the Supreme Court came out with a, a case uh, I believe it's Venter versus Visor, um, where they said federal agents could be held personally liable for interfering with the practice of religion. Mm. And since that time, that means that any federal or legal prosecution that, unlike the Santo Dame case or uh, the Vegetal case, where they're awarded legal fees, now any cop that's involved, any prosecutor's involved, we can sue them personally, mm. meaning, hey, your retirement's on the line, your house is on the line, anything you own as an asset, I'm going to sue you for that personally. Um, so that um, that demotivates them, mm-hmm. that they are no longer interested in those kind of cases if they're going to be held personally liable, or they have the chance that they're going to be held personally liable. That said, when you form a church, I do have to have what's called a diversion policy. Uh, that I have to treat the sacrament that we have just like a doctor's office would treat any prescriptions they have. Uh, So people come to me and say, hey, can I have, uh, can I microdose mushrooms with you? No, no, you can't. I don't, microdosing isn't part of our sacrament. It's not part of what we do. I don't, I don't sell retail um, that we offer it as a service in in sacrament, uh, but I'm not going to give you anything to take home and and do on your own. Mm. Uh, and that's that's part of the policy that we have that we have to have an inventory of everything we receive, how we do, dose it out, and how many people we've given it to. I do anonymize all the names in the ledger, mm-hmm. um, and but but we have to have those practices in place so that we can withstand legal scrutiny mm-hmm. if if we are if legal scrutiny is ever applied to us. Yeah. Um, there's a a case here locally in Phoenix where somebody who was conducting ceremony was. Uh, was arrested and charged and is hiding behind his church but unfortunately he was he was selling retail mm. and it's just it's it it doesn't look good that that's probably not going to withstand legal scrutiny mm. because of the extracurricular sales mm. 
So that's that's what we've done to protect it. How, how many members do you have of your church? Uh, right now, about 150. Mm. And and these are usually people that have come in through the breathwork. A lot of times they come in through breathwork. Yeah. yeah. Um, do, do people ever look at you like a cult leader? Um, so <laughs> I, I have been accused of that. Yeah. Uh, people have like have said, is this, is this a cult? And there is a, there's a technical definition for a cult mm. and a cult is a high cost closed group. Mm. Uh, and what that means is that, uh, there are high expectations for you to be involved mm -hmm. that in order for you to be uh, a member of the LDS church or Scientology or anything else, you're expected to attend several times a week, you're expected to donate your time, you're expected to donate your money, that you have to show up consistently or, or you're, not really, you're not really a member. You may be on the rolls, but like you're not really one of us. Um, and then the second thing about being a, a closed group, Scientology and the LDS are really good about this, that if you leave, we can't be friends anymore. Mm. Um, that you're, you're kicked out of the group socially, you're ostracized. Um, so that those are the two major components of something being a, a cult. Um, I suck at both of those. <laughs> <laughs> You're free to go anywhere else and do breath work. Like I said, when someone comes in and does breath work, if they don't have a great experience, hey man, my friend Coulter is really good. You should go check him out. He'll, he'll probably do a better job for you. Like he's he's golden retriever of a human being. Just everybody loves him, and I'm, I'm, I'm I don't have that kind of personality. I wish <laughs> I did, um, but he's just a, a really sweetheart of a person. Um, you know, if you do ceremony at some other place and you want to come do ceremony with us, awesome. Now that that doesn't apply to the people that are leadership and facilitators. They can't just ramble around to yeah. other places. But as far as like participants go, come and go as you please. Yeah. yeah. Do, do do you get a lot of uh, students from ASU? Not really. No. Uh, I think part of that is that uh, I'm older. Mm. So I generally relate to people who are in their 30s to 60s mm. uh, and that uh, college kids don't come so much. I imagine if we got, had a facilitator or a guide or someone in our organization who was in that age range that mm. they would they would attract those people. Mm. Uh, but generally, uh, generally, I don't. Uh, and when it comes to the organization, someone was talking to me the other day about going to ceremony with, with special forces people that, that you know, military combat people need help when they get back, getting their head put on right. And he had gone to a ceremony with, with a, with a lot of the crystal clutchers. Mm. And that doesn't blend very well with the, with the special forces guys. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, we have, we have crystal clutchers on staff that, <laughs> that help us at ceremony, but like the people, what I call the council. So like the six, eight people who are kind of in charge None of us are really into that. We're very pragmatic, mm. uh, but we do have people that we help facilitate that understand, because I don't understand crystals. I'm like, they seem to do something. Mm. I don't know what, I don't know how. Uh, I don't have a really good explanation for it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, like they say, you say on Pawn Stars, hey, I got a guy for that. <laughs> let me let me get him down here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so, so the, the crystal clutchers, when you were talking about that earlier, the, the thing that really rubs you the wrong way about that is it seems like it's the spiritual ego egotism where it's, it's the spiritual egotism and it's the lack of effort that um you know there's a the manifesting crowd that i believe in manifesting um clearly um but that you know if you want a cake if you want to manifest a cake the easiest way to manifest a cake is go to the grocery store and buy a cake mix. 
Yeah. Uh, that there, there may be the miracle that your next door neighbor is going to show up with a cake and give it to you. Sp- spend a little bit of time talking about manifest. Like wh- when you say the word manifesting, what are there's a there's a whole big thing behind that. What are you talking about? So so manifesting is that uh, mindset does affect abundance. Mm-hmm. That. Um, your, your mindset matters. And my problem with most people that manifest think they're going to sit there on their pillow, they're going to own, mm-hmm. and, and riches are just going to rain down from heaven. On yeah, them. that your thoughts create your reality. So yeah. I'm going to think I want a million-dollar check in my mailbox. I'm going to go out to my mailbox. Boom, there it is. And I'm going to have a million-dollar check for not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, unearned riches are, are wasted immediately. Um, that if that what you really want is a creative process. And that by being creative, by being generative, by, by creating and producing something that other people find valuable, that creates abundance in your life. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, I've worked with people who are making $500,000 a year and still living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. That if they miss one check, they're financially host at $500,000 a year. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of people in the spiritual community who probably don't even make $20,000 a year, but they're living a wonderful lifestyle because they don't have, they don't have the overhead. They're yeah. not trying to impress anybody with their stuff. Mm. Um, so there's, you know, if you get to abundance, if you go from abundance and creativity, I think you're going to have a great life. If you go from manifesting and, and ohms and, and, you know, mana is going to fall from heaven for me. Sometimes mana does fall from heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've certainly had it happen in my life. This, this week I got a check that I wasn't expecting. I was like, sweet, this is, this is awesome. Go me. Um, but you got to show up. You got to do the work. Um, that one of the things that I have noticed in my life is that when I do the effort, I get the reward. But the effort and the reward aren't always tied together that I may be out plowing the field, I'm plowing this field and working my butt off, but all the riches come from over here. Mm-hmm. That we often think, well, I did this, so I got that. And you look at them, they're like, well, those aren't actually causally related, but this wouldn't have shown up if I wasn't doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's that component of it. So that's kind of my, one of my big hitches with the spiritual community is the lack of effort, the yeah. lack of, of showing up and, and, and doing the work. Well, I'm glad you said the work, because that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about. What What is the work? So the work, I had someone else tell me about this, asked me about this last week, and I yeah. had, to, had to define it like, you know, we have people show up for ceremony that don't want to do the work. And the work is, um, is achieving enlightenment. And enlightenment people often think that enlightenment is a very esoteric thing to work towards or that it's something that's out there that is woo-woo. And enlightenment isn't woo-woo. Enlightenment is seeing reality as reality is. That's it. Full stop. Do you see reality on reality's terms? That all of us want to think our kid's a sweetheart when their kid's really an asshole. Mm. Um, that we want to think that we have a loving spouse when he's, he's He's really a louse that's out cheating on you. Um, that we refuse to accept these harsh realities about reality that we want to round the edges off or even deny them. That if we think the door that we're trying to walk through, we just need to keep pushing harder and then we'll be able to get through that door and that opportunity. That's not a door, it's a wall. You're just looking at it the wrong way. Um, so that is that is the work, is seeing reality, taking off your... Um, 
your biases, your preconceptions, the things that you think, well, it shouldn't be that way. Nobody cares how you think it should be, Um, that you need to deal with it as it is. And the same is true uh, for the things that people see in ceremony, that nobody has a a bad trip. What they have is a reality that they refuse to accept. Mm. Uh, And any... Any report I've seen from anybody who has gone more than six months after a ceremony and said that they had a terrible time, they had a terrible experience, that they were given a message of what they needed to do during that experience, and they refused it. Um, and, and that will lead to a, a life of tragedy that if you know you're not on the path you're supposed to be on, it's a struggle every step of the way. And a bucket of vomit tipping over on top of you apparently as well. Yeah, that, that can happen as well. Yeah. Are you familiar with Byron Katie? I'm not. Okay. Um, she's got a book called Loving What Is. Okay. She, it's, you summarized it just perfectly, you know, like mm-hmm. falling in love with reality, not putting all of these distortions of like things should be different than they are. They shouldn't be what they are. Right. Um, and she calls what, what she does the work mm-hmm. as well. And it's, yeah. and it's asking <clears throat> four simple questions about any story. Um, usually about another person like uh, I'm really upset at my parents because they should pay more attention to me and they're not or they should think this or not Uh so ask yourself is that true right (laughs) (laughs) is it really true that they should pay more attention to you than they do because that's not the reality of what is the reality is they're paying exactly the amount of attention that they are Right. Not not any more not any less not what your desire is so is it true Uh, how can you know that it's true um when you think that this is true, how does it make you feel? Right. And if you didn't think it was true, how would you feel? And can you think of any reason to hold on to this mm-hmm. idea that's a valuable idea? And then she does like these turnaround things where instead of my parents should do this, like I should do this or, you know, like mm-hmm. look at it from these different perspectives. Right. I've, uh, I was just introduced to her stuff a couple months ago and just love it. Okay. Just love Sounds it. Like yeah, I'm yeah. Be very, very similar to, yeah. to, to what you're talking about there. So, so the work and, and the role that, that breath work or psychedelics can do is to show people what they've got distorting their realities. It can, it can show them, it can show them reality as it is. Um, like you can see stark instances of of reality. Isn't that counterintuitive the way that most people think about psychedelics? That yeah, uh, and one of the reasons is uh, I'll, I'll use an example. Um, a, a girl was with a guy who she knew she wasn't supposed to be with. Mm. Like had been told in a previous ceremony, you're not supposed to be with this guy. Mm. This relationship isn't going to work. Everybody around them like looked at both of them and said. This relationship isn't going to work. Like, you guys are just a mismatch. You're you're off in in every area of your life, but the physical, you're not a good match. Um, and she went to another ceremony, and in that ceremony, she had a vision of her ex boyfriend, who she had uh, an incredible love with. Like they they worked out for, they didn't work out because of their own missteps, uh, which we all do, um, but. She had just a tremendous amount of love for him. And when she came back to me and was talking about it, she's like, am I supposed to get back together with him? And I said, the vision of what you see isn't necessarily true. What the vision is trying to show you is the emotional state that you're trying to achieve. It's showing you something that isn't true so that it can explain something that is true. So what's true in that 
is the emotion. What's not true in that is that you are you need to get back together with that guy because that's that's not a happening. Um, so, so so let me make sure I understand that. So so because in this vision she felt peace. She felt love. She felt love. She felt love in a relationship. Mm-hmm. She felt love and peace and safety in a relationship. And that relationship with that previous boyfriend was the last time she had really felt that. So she associated that emotion with that relationship. Correct. Okay. Yeah. That's 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 very good. And she goes, well, why would it show me that? I'm like, well, if in the vision they showed you the guy that you should have that relationship with, there's no emotional attachment to him yet. Mm. That if it showed you reality, the the future, exactly as it should be, when you saw that guy, there's no emotion. There's no attachment. There's no vision. It can't show you this guy and go, that's the one. Now, it it could very well be when you meet him that he's going to turn around and say hi, and you're going to go, hey. That's the one, mm-hmm. um, but in in the vision state, it, it can't show you the future uh, from an emotional point of view. That it's reaching back to some memory so that it can trigger that emotion in you, and go, "Hey, you don't have this these feelings with this guy now. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist. Yeah. It's, it's just absent. Or, or you don't have this feeling in your life at all, whether it's a result Correct. of a relationship with somebody else mm-hmm. or you figured out." self-love self-acceptance you know that that sort of thing yeah Mm -hmm. so you're saying that the the experience showed her the emotional state that she wants to achieve wants to be in Mm -hmm. in the last time it's associated with this guy but it's not really about this guy it's not really about him and it's not really about the guy she's with it's telling her like hey you you were told six months ago to leave this guy and you didn't leave you Mm -hmm. still need to leave yeah yeah um so that's that's you can you can be shown things that aren't true to explain things that are true mm. uh, like the memory that you that you had about the the family in their home in Japan you know my curiosity there was like how did that relate back to your the intentions you had set for that night yeah because there's there's some sort of connect the dot episodes where that's going to because I've had those experiences in breath work where like I, I went back to an experience in high school that was seriously unpleasant and was, you know, when I came back, I was like, you know, I had these three memories that came up during breath work. Those all seem stupid. Like this isn't connected at all. And just had to sit there with it for three days, journal it out and go, you know, and then circle back to what my intention was, write my intention out and go, oh, this is how it flows. Yeah. This is how it connects. This is what it was trying to explain to me. Yeah. That it, it, it can't sit down and go, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a linear explanation. It's a matrix. It's a fractal that that expands in all directions at the same time. So it is difficult to, to gather those threads sometimes. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're about at an hour. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't? No. I'm, I'm, I just, you know, follow Ariadne's thread. I'm not. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So so if, if there's people, so you're doing this in the... The, the Phoenix area, Tempe mm-hmm. is where your uh, breath work is, is done. How can people find you? They can you? go to uh, breath.energy. Um, that's the entire website. Um, instead of a .com, it's .energy. So that's the name of the of our breath work is breath, breath.energy, and it's the website. Yeah. And they can sign up and be part and, and get Ab- these cool absolutely. emails. So you mm-hmm. sent out an email earlier this week about the secret menu. Maybe let, let, Let's end on that. T- tell, tell about the secret menu. What was that email about? Um, so the, the secret menu is about uh, In-N-Out Burger has a, has a secret menu. 
and I'd taken a friend to In-N-Out, and uh, she didn't know about the secret menu. And I was like, how can you not know about the secret menu? There's things you can order that aren't up there. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's secret. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, not everybody, that not everybody knows. Um, and it's been a while since I wrote that email, but I believe it was about, um, you know, that we're, we're all given a path in life. And that, you know, a lot of times we don't realize the options that are available to us until we get older that, that, you know, I definitely would have played my hand differently growing up if I had known what some of the other options were. But everybody says, oh, this is this is what you do. This is what the track you need to go down is. And at a at a certain point, you do need to stand up on your own and look around and decide, like, what is it that I'm really going to do with this one precious life? What is it that I'm really here for? What is my purpose? And that life purpose is one of the things that we um, I have about eight steps that I work with people when we go through ceremony. And one of them is life purpose. And really quickly, life purpose in general uh, is, is your, it was your purpose when you were five. It'll be your purpose when you're 80. It never changes. It never varies. And that your earliest experiences in life where everybody went right and you went left because you didn't know any better, that's where your life purpose is. It's somewhere in that region and that when you gather up four or five, six of those stories of the crowd went right and I went left, there's a similarity between them and um, that's where you can discover that. Is that, I'm, I'm looking at it right here, you had something in here about a success disaster. <laughs> would, would, would that I be love, the- I love success disasters. You know, um, not, not to pick on anybody individually, but like the Indian community, uh, subcontinent Indians, um, are rife with success disasters because they believe, you know, you're only a success if you have a PhD, if you're a doctor, pretty much it. They don't, they don't even accept lawyers as, as successes. Like mm-hmm. you need to be a medical doctor, you need to be a PhD. And they go through that, they do all that work, they, they have all that achievement, they get to the top of the ladder and they look around and go, hey, this ladder's against the wrong wall. Mm-hmm. And that is a success disaster and that your life is a success and you don't like it, mm-hmm. that it's, this, isn't, this isn't what I want to do with my life, and that how do you back out of, of all the accoutrement of a successful life and, and then try to have a life that you're happy with? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, we always say it was easy for the Buddha to give up the kingdom, to give up his wife, to give up his children and be an itinerant preacher, which is basically what the Buddha was. But, uh, you know, it's not easy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for this, Jake. This has been, this has been interesting. Um, do you have any questions for me? Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for doing <laughs> this. This is, this is great stuff. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast and getting to know you that way. You seem very, very balanced, very centered that, that, uh, you know, the feedback that you aren't, antagonistic enough towards the church seems wildly off the mark to me oh (laughs) (laughs) well you know like like you said earlier everybody's got their own perspective of things right correct yeah so so people in that space that are still feeling so angry Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's hard to let go of that but that's part of the work isn't it? it it is part of the work and i no i was never angry at the church per se i was angry yeah that i had a lot of rage yeah um so I understand it, but it's um, one of the things that 
from listening to your podcast about anger that I've that I've seen in my life that people that gravitate towards anger are usually too lazy to do anything until they become angry mm. that until they're pushed too far like they they could have handled this situation earlier and yeah. with less force yeah but they didn't until they're pushed over the edge mm-hmm. uh, and then that they need that anger to push them to, to act yeah and that if you can just act sooner and softer it's a lot easier yeah and maybe you have to learn by mm-hmm. trial and error and eventually yeah. you figure it out and right. climbing up this ladder Right. Might not be on the right wall. Right. But <laughs> yeah, which is always a bummer. You get to the top, like, damn it. Yeah. Looking at the wrong scene. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. thanks, Jake. Thank you. Jake. Enjoyed it. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this night. So